Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Duel of the Takes. Uh, we have to address the elephant in the room. The most shocking thing in the world happened at the Oscars. Josh's favorite movie won Best Picture. Woo! Because of that, we now have to challenge his draft championship. We have Tyler, a.k.a. Much Liked Online, from the Roll Credits podcast, joining us today. Now, to give a little context, Much Liked Online, a.k.a. Tyler from the Roll Credits podcast might be the first person I've ever listened to on a podcast that has A, seen more movies than me, and B, knows more about movies than me. I was like, okay, well, you should come on the show. We could talk about, like, I don't know, every best picture ever ranked. He's like, no, I want to fight Josh one-on-one -on, -one on drafting wrestling uh, rosters. And I was like, word. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Listen here, Josh, you fucking piece of shit. I'll send you back to your fucking little East Buffet hometown. We don't do shit around here, all right? The Roll Credits podcast is taking over. We're the number one fucking film podcast on planet Earth. The metrics don't fucking say so, but what do you trust Spotify for? You know what I mean? So it'll be a fucking bloodbath, buddy. It's like a dog collar match. You're not walking out of here in one piece, period. Well, you know something. I'm a genetic freak. Let me throw some math at you. When you go at me, you would think it's a 50-50% chance, but Coda, Coda won Best Picture at the Oscars, so that gives, you, that gives me a lot of confidence going into this, just all the hype into that. And also, I am the greatest at ranking everything ever did you see the tim burton episode i control this show okay i'm gonna win this draft are you gonna do that once you when you give alden your purse <laughs> i hold alden's purse sometimes okay well he's very fashionable so i don't doubt that he is a very pretty man the best while the promos are wrapping up here we also have two guest judges joining us today because i know pretty much nothing about professional wrestling we've got mikhail from the m2j2 project uh, friend, a friend of the show, longtime reoccurring guest. You might know him from our uh, Veggie Tales episode. How's it going, Mikhail? Going on, everybody. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, it's Mikhail from M2J2. Subscribe to M2J2. Uh, we got new merch out, by the way, and uh, I'm really excited. Wrestling's my favorite thing in the world, aside from film. It's my main passion in life, and I have loved it more than any relationship I've ever been in. Any family member, it's it's wrestling. I love it more. Or Mr. Nesser talking about the chocolate bunny. Yeah, uh, very similar. I, I sing a song like that uh, every WrestleMania in my room. And we also have Adam joining us, a uh, friend of Josh's, friend of the show, and uh, a big wrestling fan. He probably knows more about what's going on currently on WWE than anyone else on planet Earth. Hey, man, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Um, quick question. Am I taking their promos into account in my judging? Oh, yeah. Everything that's on the record is being factored here. Love it. Dude, Adam is calling from prison. Calling collect onto the Tool of the Takes podcast. I love it. Is my audio bad again? No, no, no. Yeah, it sucks, but it's fine. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> it won't be the worst mic we've ever had on this show. Not even close. Mine was pretty terrible the first time. We can't have a wrestling episode without someone having a weird mic. Yeah, when we had British guests. Oh, my God. <laughs> I miss Rob. Well, here it is. The draft pool. Josh and Tyler will both be building their dream wrestling roster of 25 pro wrestlers out of our pool of I think we're up to uh, whatever 17 times five plus three is. Oh, we're, we're doing Scott Steiner math. 88 wrestlers here. Holy shit. The, the draft pool. Good luck editing this shit. Is Bruno San Martino. Bob Buckland, Hulk Hogan, Randy Macho Man Savage, Andre the Giant, The Ultimate Warrior, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Brett the Hitman Hart, 
Ric Flair, Kevin Nash, Shawn Michaels, Mick Foley, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Big Show, Undertaker, Kane, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Eddie Guerrero, Jeff Hardy, Goldberg, Gold Dust, Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio, Edge, Kurt Angle, X-Pac, Hornswoggle, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Triple H, Randy Orton, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Booker T, Roman Reigns, Chris Benoit, AJ Styles, Sting, Jake the Snake Roberts, Dave Batista, Jerry the King Lawler, Fabulous Moolah, Tris Stratus, Lita, Aja Kong, Nia Jax, China, Mae Young, Bailey, Charlotte Flair, George the Animal Steel, Marty the Boogeyman Wright, Papa Shango, Rusev, Shane McMahon, R-Truth, The Miz, Kamala, Matt, Doink the Clown Osborne, Jesse Ventura, Sasha Banks, Rob Van Dam, Dolph Ziggler, Finn Balor, Bobby Lashley, Braun Strowman, Kevin Owens, Sheamus, Mark Henry, The Iron Sheik, Cesaro, Matt Hardy, Christian Cage, Samoa Joe, Seth Rollins, Kenny Omega, Razor Ramon, and Becky Lynch. You need to hire me for like uh, high school graduations. I'd be honored. Um, that was a lot of names. Holy shit. The graduating class of 2022. So, Josh, you're the remaining champion. You get to call it heads or tails. Uh, tails. Hey, Siri, flip a coin. The anticipation. Wow. That never happens. It landed perfectly balanced on its edge. April Fool's. I hate Apple and their sense of humor, and I hate Siri. <laughs> was that for real? That was awesome. Yes. I, I'm not even kidding. That's what it said. Uh, it, it is tails. Josh, um, are you going to go first or second? I am going to go first. I feel like I never go first. You've fallen into my plan. <laughs> All right, Josh, who is your first round overall pick uh perhaps your opinion on the greatest pro wrestler ever you're right my first overall pick i'm not even gonna think about it too much i gotta go with the goat i'm gonna put some basketball analogy into this sometimes you want the shooting of curry you want the uh maybe the point guard like uh moves of say like a magic johnson or you want the 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 competitiveness of lebron but you want all the assets of Michael Jordan. You want to be like Mike. And that's why I'm drafting Shawn Michaels. Because no matter what, everyone wants to be like Mike. Shawn Michaels, the GOAT. Shawn the Mike Michaels. Love to see it. That's great. He wasn't even on my long list. Wow, really? No. I was never going to take him. Holy shit. We're starting off with some hot takes. On the top rope. That certainly established the tone. I would say. I mean, I Shawn Michaels is is my childhood like favorite wrestler. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dismiss the fact that Shawn Michaels is is amazing. He has like two primes, right? He has that 97 98 run where he's this shithead, cocky heel. He's a prick. He's like actually a prick in real life, so it gives some credence. And he's probably the reason why the Attitude Era begins, right? He puts over Stone Cold. It leads into the whole Mike Tyson thing. He fucks over Bret Hart, right? It's great. He's a great tag team wrestler with the Generation X, and then he comes back, you know 
in 02 and he has this whole Christian character where he's coming back and he doesn't need to win titles because he's solidified. He's basically running. Let's not forget his awesome heel run against Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I mean, he's great, right? But just as far as like someone that I see that I could actually like do things with if we're really like drafting a roster, if I'm booking, I don't want to deal with the bullshit backstage politics of Shawn Michaels. I don't want to deal with his 95 injuries. Well, Shawn never left at WWF once he was there. When it comes to loyalty, him and him and Taker are the top two. But he also threatened to walk out multiple times. Yeah, but you just give him more money and he'll stay. It's fine. I look at Sean and I look at him compared to who I'm going to go number one, which really shouldn't be any shock if you're hearing me diss Shawn Michaels. I'm going Bret Hart. I'm going the hitman. Oh, this makes sense. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Bret Hart to me is the end all be all package. You want to talk about a guy who can shoot three points, run to the rim, slash through play defense. It's Bret Hart. You look at his stuff and it's timeless. Uh, you know, the one thing that Sean might have over him is longevity. I think Sean definitely has that in the bag because, you know, Brett basically has from as far as years that people are paying any attention, he has 87 where he's kind of a tag team mid card guy into about, you know, 98 or 2000, you know, when his, kind of prevalence as far as being a big star is and obviously wcw just wasted him like nothing but i look at bret hart as a heel i think he's an amazing heel i think he gave stone cold his best match at wrestlemania i quit match or what was it submission iron man um first blood i forget but you look at that you look at his tag team work you look at and i think like his stuff just ages better whenever i go back and i watch Shawn michaels do flashy stuff his selling is over the top it doesn't look not that everything needs to look realistic right otherwise we wouldn't like guys like Rey mysterio and mick foley would be in a fucking coffin but like bret hart i just look at him and i'm like imagine him versus punk imagine him versus brian imagine him versus angle brock lesnar you know there's so many guys the rock like, why would you – you want this guy. You want him, and he doesn't have to do anything. He's not the best promo in the world, but neither is Sean. You just watch things he does from a psychological aspect, the way he picks at limbs, things like that. Sean, he'll Irish whip a guy 40 minutes into a map, and they'll just start fucking running despite the fact that they could barely get up 45 seconds ago. You do the same thing to Bret Hart, and he just fucking crumbles like a bag of bricks. There's just little things in his psychology and the way that he builds a match that – you know, Brett wasn't my favorite wrestler. He he probably still isn't, but he's one of those guys that like if you're going to build a roster, you know, they always say that you pick six guys and then you mix and match. And Brett, you can put him anywhere. You can throw him anywhere on the card and he fits. Wow. Yeah. These are some takes. Uh, Adam McHill, uh, with your guys' wrestling knowledge and experience, how are you? How are you feeling on this? I feel like we're off to a hot start, man. I, uh, I was thinking in my head before this kicked off, who would be the number one pick? And these were the exact two people that popped in my head. I think we're off to the perfect start. What do you think, Mikhail? Yeah, these were actually the two top guys I had in my head as well. I'm a big Shawn Michaels guy. I got to give it to Josh this round. I think that um, there is an argument to be made about Bret Hart in terms of being the GOAT. I will say, I do want to point out, Bret was the top guy during uh, WWF's lowest period when it came to success. I love Bret Hart. Who helped elevate it past that was Shawn Michaels. I think it was Stone Cold. There is no Attitude Era without Shawn Michaels starting DX, though. I think everyone does forget that. I would give that merit to it as well, but I think Shawn's just, whenever you look at like his title reigns and stuff, like Brett has lengthy, long runs, and he he's a transitional guy, but I think I don't think that that comes down to Brett or Shawn, because those were obviously the two top guys, right, in that new generation era. I don't think that that comes down to the fact that 
you know, those guys are weak. I think you could throw them in air, any era and they would thrive. You could definitely throw Sean in now and he would thrive. You could throw in Brett and he would thrive, right? Even with the restrictions of it being PG, throw him to AEW, throw him in fucking GCW and make him bleed. Who gives a shit? You look at that. And I think the problem with that era of wrestling isn't necessarily those two top guys. Cause you could make the argument for Sean as well. You know, the ratings weren't great when he was on top, but I think it's more the undercard and the bullshit that was under there. You know, who the fuck is going to watch like the repo man? You know what I mean? Like there's just shit that you look at and you're like, okay, this isn't these guys fault. And there's a reason why we point to these guys as being massive stars of their time and all that, because everything else was pretty much dog shit. You know, there were, there were very, very few guys in that era that were, could actually go and were good and were worth it and actually got the time of day that the WWE, WWF gave them at the time. And obviously, you know, the steroid scandal, blah, 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 blah. Not a discredit to either guy. I got to say one thing I want to reiterate for our audience. Uh, we are drafting these uh, uh, wrestlers at in the, like a, a made up timeline. So like they're, you're not drafting, uh, you know, potentially dead people, uh, you know, 90 year olds, things like that. This is this is all fantasy here. So you get you get these wrestlers in their peak like you're playing WWE 2K 2022 or whatever the hell's out now. Maybe whenever we pick them, we should like define what their peak is. Like, Josh, if you're if you're taking Sean, like, are you taking 04, 05 Sean where he's feuding with Hogan? He's feuding with Angle. Or are you taking the 97, like 95 heartbreak kid for Brett? I'm taking like 96, 97, like right around the time that he's main eventing manias and 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 is having, you know, his Iron Man match with Sean, which I think is one of the greatest fucking matches ever. I may think the 90 Shawn Michaels might be more entertaining, but the 2000 Shawn Michaels might be that workhorse I just might need. What's great about the 2000 Shawn is like, for example, when Triple H got hurt for WrestleMania 23, he was able to go in there and have, I think, one of the most underrated main events in WrestleMania history against Cena. And it made, he made Cena look like the huge megastar that we know Cena now. Yeah, I think I would go with the mid 2000 Shawn Michaels era where he was putting on these five star matches. What do you think Shawn's best matches? Uh, him versus Taker at WrestleMania 25. I know that's everyone's pick, but it's the greatest match of all time, in my opinion. I think Brett's best is, is either his series with Benoit or the ones where he's feuding with Michaels. My favorite Brett match will always be him versus Owen at WrestleMania 10. I think that match is awesome. That match is awesome. So is the Bulldog one. Uh, both picks are fucking awesome. I mean, these are other people on the panel said that they would take these guys number one and number two and alternate, you know, it's a great first pick. You know, there's no way that you're not taking these guys, especially because I can't let you have him after you take Sean. If you take Brett, it's over. It's a fucking wrap. <laughs> Alrighty, Josh, what are you picking next? I am picking a superstar who is wrestling right now who main evented WrestleMania just last year. I'm going to go with Sasha Banks as my number two pick. That's interesting. Who, in my opinion, is the best working wrestler right now. And when her career is said and done, might be the greatest wrestler of all time. I think she is phenomenal in the ring. Her versus Bailey at NXT Brooklyn, um, I think it was 2015. It is probably the greatest women's match of all time. It kicked off the women's revolution. I want a really awesome women's division because we're, we are right now in the peak of women's wrestling. Um, it's the best it's ever been. And I want the person that I think is the greatest of this era. And that is Sasha Banks. That's a great take, a trailblazer for the women's division for sure. And I, I agree, uh, probably one of the best working wrestlers, if not the best working wrestler today. No doubt, yeah. 
I think as far as just like box office and being able to get your attention right, there's very, very few people in modern WWE specifically that you go like, oh shit, they're on TV, I'll pay attention. I think like Edge, AJ, right? There's there's very, very few. I think Sasha's one of those that you see her on TV and regardless of if it's like a transition feud or some tag team bullshit like she's doing this weekend, you look at it and you go like, okay, but she can probably still make this work like really well and it'll probably outshine 90% of the shit that people are doing. There's a lot of wrestlers that say that they're that workhorse, right? You look at Dolph Ziggler and he's like, I'm the best, blah, blah. The motherfucker hasn't had a good match since like 09. <laughs> but then you look at Sasha Banks and you're like, this person is constantly putting in work that is like top fucking tier and is like incredible and they still aren't getting their shine. And I think that's mostly because women's wrestling is so young. Also, I think WWE as a company would just be floundering even more than it already is if not for those four women that are at the top of their card. And I think Sasha's really the embodiment of that as far as reinvention and coming up with new ideas, new matches. I mean, her her match with Belair, I think, is probably the second greatest women's match maybe in WWE history behind the Mickey James Trish one at Mania 22. So, and and probably better as far as just technically. Yeah, when it comes to WrestleMania moments, like yeah, that whole match I think was awesome. It, it created a star in Bianca Belair. Like she became a megastar that night, and it was because of the great match she had with Sasha. Tyler, I'm on the edge of my seat. What is your second pick? So we talk about guys that are still doing it or girls that are still doing it in modern day WWE. And I think that there's someone here that is very, very influential to getting into wrestling. I think that if you are looking at this person's career, they're a gateway drug into wrestling and you just look at them and immediately you're hooked. Um, I'm going Rey Mysterio number two. A winner of our bracket. Exactly. Um, I've done my homework. Shawn Michaels won the bracket. Ray is just one of those guys that like you can throw him in anything and he'll give you a good match. Um, and that's kind of what I'm looking at for like my top six, at least is I want a good foundation. If I'm building a roster of people who I can just be like, fuck it, you're going to go in this mid card bullshit and actually make it interesting. Um, Ray's a guy who he's had top feuds. You look at, you know, his feud with guys like JBL, who is not the greatest worker in the world, but he elevates people um, and he brings them up to the highest possible caliber that they can be. When he returned, it was like a fucking massive pop. Um, some of his work in the Indies has been really extraordinary. I can really only point to like one kind of dark point in his career, which is that sort of 2014, 2013, where he's like tagging with Sin Cara. By that point, he was already not going to resign. So I think that that's largely just him not caring and just longevity. I mean, the dude's been doing it for fucking ever back to WCW and he still puts on bangers. So, I mean, he's just generational talent, probably one of the five greatest to ever do it. I, uh, I agree. I want to hear from the experts here. Mikhail, Adam, what are your guys' thoughts on uh, Rey Mysterio and Sasha Banks here? I feel like I'm watching like an NFL game and Mikhail and Adam are like Terry Bradshaw and like <laughs> it's, it's Shaq and Charles Barkley in the TNT post show. Man, I got to be honest. Um, I don't want to sound sexist, but I don't think Sasha Banks is as valuable of a wrestler as Rey Mysterio is career wise. I think she has the potential to be something really special for now. Yeah, I just don't see it yet, and I think drafting Sasha Banks, as important as, as women's wrestling is, and I, I really uh, like do enjoy women's wrestling, and I do enjoy Sasha Banks, 
I just don't think she's on the caliber as Mysterio. I don't think they're very comparable either. Both are Eddie Guerrero fans. Yeah, both are Eddie Guerrero fans. You could have drafted Eddie Guerrero also. We'll get there when we get there. I guess so, but that's what I got to say. I, I, I'd I, have to give it to Tyler over Josh on this one. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, this round is razor tight for me. Uh, one thing I'll say about Sasha Banks is maybe the best working wrestler at not only making sure that she is a star, but making sure the person across from her in the ring is getting over and is a star. Um, I was a little surprised you went with her this early. I thought maybe we'd start around four or around three to five with the women's wrestlers, but um, I don't hate the pick, but I do probably side with the Rey Mysterio pick um, just because um, you need that sort of perfect white meat baby face on your roster and uh, someone that just makes you suspend any sort of disbelief and someone that you could feel could win a match at any given moment, no matter how uh, grim the circumstances are, even though he probably shouldn't because he's like five foot four. But uh, yeah, this is a razor close round for me. I'd love to see it. Can we have Adam like on commentary for like an actual wrestling event like tomorrow? That was some great journalism right there. <laughs> Making me look like dog shit. I don't even know. Like I, I know about half the people on this list, if I'm being honest. <laughs> that was like some Paul Schrader level analysis of just like diving into like our hearts and souls and fucking just Adam the Tony Romo of this episode. Hey. <laughs> we are moving on to round three, Josh. Uh, you got some pushback from the panel on uh, Sasha Banks. What are we seeing here? Did a little. This bit. is where you got to take Papa Shango. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Redeem yourself with Kamala. Yeah, I got to go. I got to go with him. He's going in the Hall of Fame tonight. I got to take Undertaker. I mean, what what could I say about the Undertaker that I haven't already said? It, it's always debated between him and Sean of who the GOAT is. He has had the greatest like career, like I guess statistically, undefeated at WrestleMania. The only complaint is maybe some short title reigns, but the Undertaker is such an iconic character. He's almost more valuable than like that like than a long title reign. He doesn't need it. He's also always been better at chasing the belt. And I think a lot of wrestlers just are. Like the issue with Hangman Page right now, he might just be a better wrestler chasing the title. And that's okay. Like that's that's just storytelling. And Undertaker is the greatest at storytelling. Um, I'm very confident in this pick. How can you not be? It's The Undertaker. I look at that WWE like World Heavyweight title, and I think because that belt was so synonymous with SmackDown for such a long time, it's impossible to look at the WWE version of that belt. I mean, obviously, like Ric Flair and some WCW guys would come to mind, but yeah, that, I just see that belt, and I'm like, that's the fucking Undertaker belt, just immediately. It's just it's like the spinner's John Cena's belt. You know what I mean? I can't look at that title and go, there's wrestlers that I like the hell the belt more that i like more than undertaker but i think just longevity i mean who the fuck is going to beat him longevity wise and as far as just giving back as far as if you're just picking purely wwe wrestlers i mean undertaker is like the guy he's the guy yeah he's like the mario to wwe's nintendo <laughs> he's the poster child for what the wwe is like he, his longevity alone is kind of that staying power and i think he definitely has his ups and downs i'm not a big fan of biker taker personally but i think when you look at some of the best matches the wwe's ever had he's he's his name's tossed around a lot and because he's such like a lasting figure and such an iconic character i mean i feel like any wwe merchandise or stupid shitty scooby-doo tie-in movie he's there yeah like pop culture wise i was him for halloween so many people knew exactly who i was people who never watched wrestling knew who i was for halloween 
I gotta, I gotta ask Adam and Mikhail to fill the space. Would you guys have drafted Undertaker earlier? Logically, when I was, when I play GM mode, when I play general manager mode, I go for there's four guys I go for first. I go for Kurt Angle, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H. Those are the guys I want to base my entire show around as many of those guys as i can get on my hands in those early draft picks as possible the better so i think josh definitely has the upper hand here but i am comparing those guys to people like bret hart who are you know like wouldn't be available in gm mode situation so i guess that doesn't make a lot of sense i i do think that josh right now has the upper hand but we'll have to see who tyler chooses as his third pick yeah i will say the odds are incredibly stacked against tyler here in round three now that josh has landed Shawn michaels and the undertaker on the same roster so uh it's gonna be really tough for tyler to win just round three um but going back to what you guys said about the undertaker and the the pop culture um relevance it is so rare in this decade in this era for you know your parents or just a relative or a friend who doesn't watch wrestling or is disconnected from wrestling to recognize one of the characters and undertaker is probably the most recognizable person still working today i'm going to pretend he's still working today for the uh, sake of my point but um yeah he's just one of those few people that is relevant in the business today that Anybody on the streets is going to know. And uh, that says a lot for building your roster. I uh, I rewatched the documentary uh, Super Size Me recently. And there, there's that scene where they're they're in, like they're talking to all these kids in the classroom and like more of them recognize Ronald McDonald than Jesus. I'd be curious if Undertaker was thrown in the mix there, how that would have because like <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just the white people culture in me. But I, I feel like Undertaker is pretty freaking iconic. They use, I listened to um, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins' action figure podcast a lot and they use the term toyetic to describe wrestlers. And I, I, I can't think of anybody more toy than rest than the undertaker he is just like this like superhero character i mean as a kid i had multiple versions of undertaker action figures like you don't just ever have one undertaker i wasn't even allowed to watch wrestling and i had an undertaker action figure as a kid. <laughs> that's fucking awesome was it one of the ones where you, you you like you take off the jacket but he still has the sleeves like he has a coat yeah on? i had that one yes that was the exact one. I hated those. I would get so pissed whenever anybody would give me those as gifts. I'm like, great, now I have a fucking wrestler to do. Just for his entrance. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Just, like, cover my eyes, swap it out with a different figure. <laughs> See, that's why Biker Taker is elite. No, I had a Biker Taker like that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Get fucked. All right, Tyler, welcome back. What is your round three pick? Uh, I'm going with the guy who gave Undertaker his greatest match. I'm going with Mick Foley, my favorite wrestler of all time. These are some hot takes coming in. This is based. I love Mick Foley. Mick Foley is just like, I talk about gateway drugs. I mean, like, you want to see Rey Mysterio do fucking flips or you want to see Mick Foley just die? And it's one of the two. I mean, like, he's fucking incredible he's a guy again we talk about guys who don't need the belt Mick Foley does not need the title he does not need it <laughs> he is part of the biggest segment ever that WWF ever had that was like their biggest ratings pop from that point on WCW never fucking beat them ever again and just dwindled with shitty segments and Foley I mean like you could go to Cactus Jack which is my personal favorite I love that I love watching him just invader just beat the dog shit out of each other he made so many guys careers Triple H would not have the career he does if it wasn't for Mick Foley I don't think Undertaker would have had the staying power that he did if Undertaker 
just didn't launch his ass off the fucking cell. I think he gave Shawn Michael his best match at In Your House. I think that that's just genuinely his best match. Um, obviously, he wrestled Stone Cold multiple times. He's wrestled Edge, Mania 22, which might be my favorite Mania match. I mean, I just look at McFoley and like other than his brief stint in TNA, I'm just like, holy shit, this guy reinvented himself three times, technically four with McFoley as a character by itself and is just so such a large part of my identity as a wrestling fan and as a fan of hardcore wrestling and and he's just he's fucking awesome he rules he might be the best seller of all time genuinely no one garners sympathy like Mick Foley watching Mick Foley get the dog shit whipped out of him by the rock is like incredible it, it makes you so sympathetic to him and then whenever he finally wins in these matches a fat greasy fucking nasty guy who can barely build a sentence together but he's like also one of the best promos in the world I mean he's just incredible everything about McFoley is incredible I don't think you could really point to like an awful match he's had he's just he's the fucking best I love McFoley he's my favorite all right well I want to hear from the experts is McFoley enough to take the Undertaker all right so I'll say this I gotta shout my dad out here because he listens to every podcast I go on as the son of a professional wrestler myself one of my father's favorite matches is the Hell in a Cell match uh, between McFoley and The Undertaker at King of the Ring. Uh, and, and I've watched that match probably hundreds of times. And he has described the feeling of watching it live and really thinking that The Undertaker just killed a person. And, like, I, I like try to, like, think about that every time I watch that match. And I think that's all in The Undertaker's performance, so I have to give that... Well, you know, no, as I say that... Mick Foley takes the bump. I give it to Tyler. I'm sorry. Wow. Aced as fuck. Going to keep things even here and uh, keep it on uh, Josh for this round and give the win to The Undertaker. Josh is building an incre- uh, incredible WrestleMania caliber show with his roster. Yeah, exactly. I really hate to hand the loss to Mick Foley on this round because uh, everything Tyler said was true about him uh, just being able to make you feel so many emotions and make you want to root for him like no other. Tyler has a... An incredible list of baby faces built up over there, but I am going to keep the the win to Josh this round. Yeah, I'm also excited to see uh, what heels are going to get added into the mix first so we have a fuller picture of what everybody's uh, show ideas are. I mean, I know I'm a normie, but I freaking love both of these lineups so far, and we're only three rounds in. Yeah, these are definitely shows I would tune into. It's that time in the show. What are these uh, these wrestling rosters named? What What is your guys' brand that you're building? Josh? I was trying to think about that. I don't have a good name. Nate, you're always the name guy when it came to us making wrestling. Yes, but I'm not on your side. I'm impartial. I do have a good name for Tyler's, though, if he has a shit one. Mm, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I really don't know. We'll come back to you in a couple rounds, then. Make up your mind, damn it. Tyler, do you have a name for your brand? Whenever I would build the games and I would I would create the arenas and go in and build the titles and shit like that, I always had a name just because I was I, I thought it was cool. It's actually like kind of corny as shit, but uh, pure pro wrestling, just pure p u r e, the the spirit of. Why the fuck we're here? You want the fucking titles. You want to win fucking matches. I kind of like the way that AEW has done it with like their rankings and shit. It doesn't work realistically from like a booking standpoint because you're like, why isn't this guy fucking ranked? It's not UFC. Um, 
but uh, you know, it also helped that the announcers just that word was always in there. So I was like, you know, I have a OCD aspect of me, you know. So it's that, or you know, I'll just shill my fucking show a little bit more and just call it Roll Credits Wrestling, um, RCW. Why not? But that could also be a race car federation. So I like Pure Pro Wrestling. That's a great name, Josh. You have a big decision to make. Unless you have a title for your brand, uh, what is your number four <laughs> on my show? Big Decision Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> BDW. <laughs> it's going to be weird if I don't draft this guy right now. And I feel like my my people on the panel feel the same way because nobody's had a run quite like him in the history of pro wrestling. I got to take John Cena here. Duh, duh. You're going to like Hollywood, stuff like that. But we're taking John Cena from any era. I'm just going to I'm just going to take the era of John Cena, like right in the middle when he's on that great run. Like Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold, The Rock, nobody had a more than decade long, more than decade long streak of just on top of the company like John Cena has. I don't think we'll ever see a run like that again. Roman Reigns is doing great things right now, but Roman also had to change his character multiple times. Cena really didn't need to do that. And towards the end of his career, when he did the United States Open Challenge, it was some of the best wrestling we would see on any promotion. Yeah, John Cena can be both overrated and underrated at the same time. I grew up a Cena hater, and I've now become a big Cena fan uh, in his later, in his twilight years of his career. So yeah, I'm going to take the Cena around the U.S. Open Challenge. I want mid-card Cena, because it's actually better than main event Cena. I agree. Cena's goaded. Underrated. Like, genuinely underrated. He's like a king of selling. He's a king of yelling the spots across the ring loud as fuck so the camera picks it up. <laughs> All jokes aside, like, I think Cena's <laughs> great. And I, whenever I was a kid, I fucking loved Cena. I hated Edge so much because he was this dastardly fucking heel that was just always there to spoil the moment. And I loved Cena as a white kid growing up who loved hip hop. John Cena was the fucking man. He ruled. He's the sugar Ray of wrestlers. <laughs> That's a little fucking disrespectful. He's a, uh, he's a uh, kind of like, I don't know what he would be. He's probably just like the John Cena of of wrestlers, <laughs> the peacemaker of wrestlers, I guess. I don't know. All right. What's your response to John Cena, Tyler? We talk about, you know, your John 316. Uh, I, Austin 316 just whooped your ass. I mean, we're taking Stone Cold. We're taking Stone Cold Steve Austin number four. I don't know how you let him go. It was between him and Cena for me. It was really between them. Exactly. And I can read fucking minds. All right. If you listen to the podcast, you'd know this shit. We've done <laughs> drafts before on the fucking podcast. So I don't know how you let me get Bret Hart and Stone Cold and McFoley. That's wild to me. You know, I would have taken him off the fucking board so quick. But Stone Cold is awesome. He's the guy that I think like just watching him do the most insane shit on TV where I was like, how the fuck did they let him do this? How did this get recorded? It just like he's the fucking man. He rules. He's made so many careers. He's awesome. I hope that he kind of doesn't come back ever because I just love the purity of this short kind of run of the Attitude Era, slightly into like the 2000s. You know, he's kind of popping up here and there, but not really doing anything super duper significant. And he's just awesome. He rules. His his ECW shit is incredible. His WCW stuff where he's kind of like a mid-card guy. I mean, he's a great technician. He's a great wrestler. People forget about that. They just see him punching people and brawling in the fucking crowd, but he's like a genuine amazing 
amazing technician and it takes two to tango in wrestling and it takes two to get five star matches and i think stone cold has so many of those i will say though you want to bring up people being divas uh he did have one of the biggest diva moves walking out of a, a raw and taking his ball and going home i mean that's definitely true but i think what you get out of Stone Cold, I mean, he was the leader of, like, the peak of wrestling. The Attitude Era is the undeniable peak, and I think while John Cena was, like, the face of wrestling, he it starts going on a downward trend again once he's the guy. He's the guy that follows up Stone Cold. I guess you could make the argument that Brock is, but, you know, then Cena kind of takes over as the face while they're in this weird transition area, and then the show just keeps on decreasing in ratings. So I think, you know, if you just look at Stone Cold, I mean, just stack Cena's best moments versus Stone Cold's best moments, and and it's incomparable. I gotta say, there's nothing quite as impressive as watching Stone Cold Steve Austin crush like six beers on his way to the ring, and then three more after throwing someone uh, out of the out of the ring, and then making a complete fantastic five star match. Watching a man drink nine beers in 45 minutes and uh, look totally unfazed is awesome. Uh, what are our experts saying? Because I'm not too familiar with the back catalog of Stone Cold's. Uh, uh, professional wrestling career. Boy, if you enjoyed the purity of Stone Cold Steve Austin's career, I have some bad news about this weekend. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to watch. See, this is a toss-up. This is... It's literally... John Cena versus Stone Cold. Like, who do you pick? It's a terrible round to be a judge. Yeah. And, you know, my heart tells me one thing. My brain tells me another. I think that John Cena, I think overall has been a more impactful person on, I don't want to say wrestling because Stone Cold carried wrestling through its biggest point, but John Cena overall, I think has made a bigger pack. No one had a run like Cena. Yeah. I think John Cena overall has made a bigger impact on just like the world. I have an argument for that. I want to throw this out there real quick. John Cena, Stone Cold doesn't do Make-A-Wish. Who get, I don't, I'm not a Make-A-Wish kid. (laughs) (laughs) John Cena's best segments, right? You think Edge, CM Punk, his little feud with Daniel Bryan, Randy Orton. Who's leading those matches? Who's carrying him? I'm not saying that Cena isn't a good worker and that he's not capable of it, but he's clearly not the lead in these matches. I think he is once he gets to his later career, right? That U.S. title run. I think that's why Josh specifically pointed that out as a high benchmark for that because that's when he's really kind of like this established legend that people respect across the board and he's taking a step down he's not hogging the limelight people can actually come up but you just compare that and it's like stone cold's best matches are because stone cold fucking rules wrestlemania x7 rules because stone cold rules a lot of john cena's best matches i mean we were booing the guy and legitimately just wanted him off of fucking tv for like six years and yeah it's great to look back and go oh john cena's awesome because the product fucking sucks now except for the women's division like stone cold He's just the fucking goat. He's awesome. You can always go down that rabbit hole of Stone Cold promos. Every six months, I go down a rabbit hole of the Attitude Era shit and watch Stone Cold promos and his best segments and him with the beer truck and him beating the dog shit out of Vince McMahon and like terrorizing him. And it's it's awesome. It's better than anything John Cena's done. Although I do love Cena. I think Cena's really, really good. Uh, Adam, what's your expert opinion here between the two? Yeah, this 
sucks as a judge. It's four or five biggest draws in the history of wrestling. John Cena, you know, everyone likes to point out the whole Cena wins, LOL. But um, there was that point in his career in the mid-2010s where he just sort of put everyone over on, I hate to pick against John Cena, but Austin is probably the biggest draw in the history of wrestling. And if I'm building a roster, I want the biggest draw on my roster. I have to agree. This is this is shaping up to be really interesting. I really like the counter picks coming from Pure Pro Wrestling. All right. All right. Who is the last pick of your top five, Josh? I need to make sure uh, Tyler does not get everyone from the Attitude Era. I am picking I am picking the biggest straw in Hollywood, The Rock. If we want to talk about cultural significance, I mean, there are people who don't even know this guy was a wrestler. This man, just career-wise, has had such a long and tremendous career. I'm going to have the best promos on my show. I got Rock, Cena, and Sean. The opener of this show with just those three of them, like, cutting promos on each other would be iconic. Yeah, The Rock, uh, instant charisma, comes from such a legendary family with such great history of wrestling. When it comes to Era of the Rocks, I noticed the lack of heels on my list. So I want Hollywood Rock. I want the, him playing the guitar on the Rock show. That That is the best version of the Rock to me. His match against Austin at WrestleMania 19, uh, probably my top five favorite WrestleMania matches. It's, it's another one of those wrestlers. What more can you say that hasn't already been said? The Rock's awesome. I mean, I, I smell what the Rock's cooking. <laughs> I'm excited to hear Tyler's... Uh, uh, response to the rock it's made it interesting right because i have three massive attitude era guys i've got bread i've got foley i've got stone cold and now now he has three attitude era guys he's got sean he's got taker and he's got the rock which makes it interesting i think i've kind of pocketed myself in a wheelhouse of of guys that are from a certain era that i used to watch because i i just i don't watch the product as much shout out AEW. but the rock is an undeniable great i think he went smart he picked the hollywood rock i think that's the best heel rock is fucking awesome he's when he's being a dickhead and he's being smarmy and he's being this overconfident piece of shit he's the best he rules i'm kind of just throwing this out here because i don't want him to get this person on his roster it's less of a pick of actually trying to counter pick him but i'm gonna go trish stratus just because i need a woman on the roster i think that she's probably the actual best women's wrestler ever as far as you just look at like body of work i think i previously said in the pod that my favorite women's match in wwe is that mickey james uh trish stratus feud and and i don't want josh to be able to get sasha banks and trish and have the two undeniable so i'm kind of punting on this round i think the rock is the better pick um for obvious reasons um impact etc but but I, I can't let him have those two. I do think Sasha Banks and Trish Stratus are probably the two biggest names in, in female wrestling, like at least like modern era history. I, I think they're both great picks. What, uh, what do the experts think? We're now we're now finished with the top five. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to leave anybody hanging on to their seats. I would probably give this round to Josh, uh, like Tyler said himself, uh, pure pro wrestling kind of uh, punted on this round. But uh, it becomes a little hard to pick. Uh, Trish Stratus is the winner of an individual round until I see who she'll be going up against in matches. So I am going to side with The Rock, probably the other biggest draw in the history of wrestling next to Austin. And uh, I think there are some really great established chemistry on Josh's roster so far. And uh, that's really boding well for him. I know what was said earlier about women's wrestling by myself. On that same note, you are not going to get me to say that Trish Stratus is better than The Rock. (laughs) It's The Fucking Rock.
come on. Like, <laughs> yeah, I gotta give it to Josh in this one. Josh, number six, who you got? I need more modern talent. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go with them. Roman Reigns. Big dog. The big dog. We haven't really seen a run like this uh, in a long time. He has had this universal title for over two years now, almost two years, something like that. Rocky start. I won't deny that. But this modern Roman Reigns, the head of the table, is, I think, one of the best gimmicks we have seen in WWE in a long time. He draws. He... um. He's got the mic skills now. He's got the manager and Paul Heyman. He's got a great faction with the Usos. The bloodline's great. Yeah, and uh, I'm I I Paul Heyman's coming with me. Um, he will be on the roster with Roman Reigns, so I have a great manager already. Also, uh, yeah. Now I got two great heels in a row, and hey, maybe Roman turns face or The Rock turns face. I get that dream match with Roman versus The Rock. The cousins going at it. I love it. He was great in Aquaman. Who do you have, uh, Tyler? (laughs) He was saying that, you know, he picked Roman because he's a guy that's doing stuff in this modern era. He's a guy who's held a belt for a really, really long time. He's a guy who's done stuff with Paul Heyman. And there's a guy who's currently doing stuff that has done stuff with Paul Heyman, who has held belts for a really long time and has done arguably the best heel work of the decade. It's CM Punk. I'm taking CM Punk. Just an overall technician. Can you imagine the matches like a a heel CM Punk versus Mick Foley or Bret Hart versus CM Punk or Stone Cold versus CM Punk would be a fucking banger. And Punk had an amazing feud with Rey Mysterio already back in the early 2010s slash late 2000s. Um, He's just he's a guy that you can kind of pinpoint anywhere and he's a great heel he would probably be my top heel um uh, him and brett are probably my top heels and uh i would i would i mean that run with paul Heyman is just like solidified in my brain as as being just elite level stuff i also i can't let you have him so yeah i i think cm punk's a great choice and a, a lot of i don't know a ton about wrestling but i know a lot of people fucking love cm punk like he's the best thing since sliced bread but i've got to ask uh, Roman Reigns wasn't always a popular guy. He's starting to win over fans now, finally. Uh, CM Punk, I I remember people saying for like literally years that they want him to come back in some capacity. How do our expert judges weigh in here? I, I, I'm going to acknowledge that both of the opinions I'm about to express are in the minority here. I am on one hand a massive CM Punk hater. On the other hand, I love Roman Reigns. Oh my god. <laughs> Josh once witnessed me mansplain the entire head of the table storyline to my girlfriend while we were at a bar. <laughs> it, I can't get enough of this shit. This is like some of the most compelling television I have seen from WWE in all of my time watching, honestly. I yeah. It's some next level shit and the nuance to it and the layers to the story and like things that are alluded to. And we called it on the podcast last time we talked about wrestling on the show. We said all Roman needs is a good gimmick and he's a star. Even like True. subtle things like he's on the rock show. Oh, I can't get enough of it. It's 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 Roman for me. I'm sorry, Josh takes it this round. I think they're they're doing with Roman what they probably should have been do- doing in the 2000s with Batista, right? He's this guy. Batista's this guy who is is somewhat like kind of unlikable if you see him in wrestling. He's this big fucking monster like Batista was fucking awesome. He was, but he took forever to get to that point where he was awesome as a heel, right? Like the definitive 2010 run is awesome. It's like the best work he's done, right? Where he's this shithead, like I'm going to Hollywood, blah, 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 heel. I love this close in that in that run. 
Roman Reigns is kind of the same thing where it just took them for fucking ever to figure out this dude's identity. And it's not like he was bad before. There's Roman matches that I like. I like the shield shit. I think it's fucking awesome. Brock versus Roman at WrestleMania 31 is a great main event. Just nobody cared. Roman is underrated. Roman is like genuinely underrated. I don't think that he's a guy when people are like, Roman can't wrestle. Roman can wrestle. He's good. It's just the booking was so shit for so long. And I think there is like still some genuine disdain of like in the back of your head, you're always thinking with Roman. You're like, they're going to fuck this up somehow with the booking of it. No, not on my show. I, I trust you more than I trust fucking Vince. That's for goddamn sure. We are now moving into round seven. Who are you picking, Josh? This is, uh, this is where it gets tricky because there's still, still a lot of ballers on the board. Man, I could go a couple of different routes here. My next pick, I want DX. I got to go with the King of Kings, Triple H, who just retired, which is sad. It, it sucks that Triple H will never get a proper farewell match, but what a fucking career. Like, uh, Triple H... Some of the best stories in wrestling evolve around Triple H later in his career, um, really being the head of NXT and uh, helping such a great generation of talent. You say what you want about his run of dominance in the 2000s with the world title. As from a heel perspective, from a kayfabe perspective, it makes total sense that Triple H would do that. JR on commentary, I don't think he's ever hated a character like Triple H the way he would talk about him on commentary. Like, just some awesome character stuff from Triple H. And, uh, you know, from my list of wrestlers so far, you could tell that characters and story mean a lot to me in professional wrestling, and Triple H is one of the best at that. Are we getting a story-based uh, character out of, uh, out of uh, pure pro wrestling? I highly doubt it. What's your next pick, Tyler? I think we're going to take a guy who did literally everything better than what Triple H did. Uh-oh. And, and Triple H kind of modeled his career after him. I'm taking fucking Ric Flair. I'm taking a guy who is synonymous with pro wrestling, right? He's just as iconic as The Undertaker. He's just as iconic as these guys. People know who Ric Flair is. He's an icon in hip-hop currently, which is fucking bizarre. And... He's like the greatest world champion of the 80s ever, and then he has that awesome run in the 90s with that awesome Royal Rumble. He jumps to WCW. He's like their Iron Man over there. He's basically the Shawn Michaels of their roster. Basically, you can put him anywhere. He can do anything. He makes Sting. He makes all these guys. He's awesome. He's he's a great wrestler as well. He has that late career stuff with w in WWE. He has that retirement match with Sean, which is one of Sean's best matches. He's just he's incredible. I'd probably say one of the like biggest household names in wrestling and the pop culture staying power with him being like a, a figure of like hip hop is is super interesting. I'm excited to hear what our two experts have to say. Adam, between Ric Flair and Triple H, where do you lean? I'm very surprised by myself here because Josh just formed DX but I'm probably going to side with pure pro wrestling here. I am just becoming very fascinated with some of the matchups that could be made on the pure pro wrestling roster um, between Punk and Austin, Punk and Hart. And then um, Ric Flair is just someone who is a constant. You know, you could turn Punk, have him be a heel or a face. Austin, have him be a heel or a face. Bret Hart, have him be a heel or a face. You always know that Ric Flair is going to be on that roster doing really good heel work and constantly being a draw. I mean, I, I think Ric Flair, um, 
with, with all due respect to him as a wrestler, he's contributed a lot. Triple H is someone who I really connected with as a wrestler uh, when I watched as a kid. I don't know. Triple H's style of wrestling is really just neat. It's, it, he's the prototypical wrestler, in my opinion, and I have a soft spot for him. I know everybody hates on Triple H, but I got to go with him here. Number eight, big decision time. Is, is Sasha Banks finally going to have someone to wrestle? find out next week mm, maybe <laughs> <laughs> you know we were knocking him a little bit earlier but i'm gonna go with my guy dave batista i think him as a draw is very underrated this man carried smackdown for a solid four or five years i believe the storylines i could have on my roster right now the history between batista and triple h the the history between batista and the undertaker batista and cena batista and the rock their one match at WrestleMania 20. But there's a couple of dream matches there. Uh, we never got Batista versus Roman Reigns, just that little snippet at the end of the Royal Rumble everybody hated. Not yet. The uh, <laughs> That would be awesome. Tomorrow. I love Batista, and Tyler brought it up earlier. I think I would go with the 2010 heel Batista, uh, especially with the amount of baby faces I already have on this roster. Him and him and The Rock might might have like a Hollywood alliance. Uh, and just cut promos on everybody and say they're better than them because they're Hollywood stars. Like I got, I got a tag team that that you wouldn't even think of on my roster right now. That'd be a crazy tag team. What's the counterpick to Batista, Tyler? So I think it's interesting that we've taken three Evolution members back to back. Right? He took Triple H. He took Ric Flair. He took Batista. I'm taking Randy fucking Orton. Fuck. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Nate from Duel of the Takes here, and I regret to inform that we had some technical difficulties in recording this episode uh, due to the amount of guests, people calling in on phones, etc. We were using Craig as our primary source for recording this episode, and uh, about an hour into the three-hour recording, Craig had disconnected, um, but the bot was still on the call, so we assumed everything was fine, and uh, if you're ever using the Craig Discord bot to record, just know... That it's not fine. It, it never is. So unfortunately, this looked like it was going to be one of those episodes just lost to time. After talking with the boys uh, right after recording and we realized this, we decided the best bet would be to try to squeeze the content out either way. Again, I think this is one of our biggest episodes of the year so far. Thanks to Much Liked Online, aka Tyler from the Roll Credits podcast. And also thanks to Mikhail and Adam uh, for just being awesome uh, judges, uh, co-hosts for this topic. And this duel, uh, it was it was a very close one. Um, before going into a kind of loose conversation that the panel had after the show, uh, once we were realized the recording had corrupted, we uh, just decided to record us talking and sharing ideas about what it's like making content in this current media landscape and uh, talking about movies that had come out recently and maybe some that have been out for a while uh it was a nice loose conversation and that's what we're going to close the episode with but for those of you that were on the edge of your seat waiting to see who won this draft i'm going to go over the recap now so the round that was going on was dave batista for josh's big decision wrestling and randy orton for pure pro wrestling the panel decided to go with randy orton on that one uh aj styles versus kurt angle was up next and the panel decided to go with josh's pick for aj styles on big decision wrestling and then josh ended up actually taking three more in a row Josh picked Kenny Omega, and uh, Tyler picked Daniel Bryan. The panel sided with Kenny Omega. Then at round 11, Josh picked Edge, and Tyler picked Booker T. The panel sided with Edge. And then at number 12, Josh picked Eddie Guerrero, and that actually overtook Tyler's pick for Macho Man Randy Savage. 
Tyler started to turn things around come round 13 when he picked Jeff Hardy. Josh picked Chris Jericho in response, and uh, the panel sided with Jeff Hardy. Then at round 14, Josh picked Razor Ramon for Big Decision Wrestling, and Tyler had picked Andre the Giant for Pure Pro Wrestling. Razor Ramon somehow edged out. I thought it was a controversial decision, but Adam and Mikhail know their shit. Round 15, Rowdy Roddy Piper was picked for Big Decision Wrestling, and Tyler had selected Brock Lesnar for Pure Pro Wrestling, and the panel was unanimous. Brock Lesnar fit perfectly within the confines of what Pure Pro Wrestling was meant to be. At round 16, Josh picked Kane for Big Decision Wrestling, and Tyler had picked Lita from Pure Pro Wrestling. Uh, Josh ended up getting the W there uh, for Kane. At round 17, Josh picked Matt Hardy, and everyone laughed. It was really funny. One of the best bits of the episode, I wish we had it on recording, and Tyler picked Christian Cage, and the panel sided with Tyler for Christian Cage. Josh got a lot of pushback from Matt Hardy, mostly from me. Uh, number 18, Finn Balor, uh, was Josh's selection for Big Decision Wrestling. Tyler had made the selection of Hulk Hogan, and the panel sided with Finn Balor. Uh, number 19, uh, Becky Lynch was selected for Big Decision Wrestling. Uh, the Big Show was selected for Pure Pro Wrestling. The panel surprisingly sided with Becky Lynch for Big Decision Wrestling. The bottom five here at round 20, Josh selected The Miz and Tyler selected Charlotte Flair. The Flair family was reunited and the panel sided with Charlotte Flair for Pure Pro Wrestling. So Tyler got a point there and then he proceeded to get three more points. At round 21, Josh picked Bruno San Martino for Big Decision Wrestling. And for Pure Pro Wrestling, Tyler made the selection of Hornswoggle. And much to the dismay of Mikhail, Hornswoggle ended up taking the popular vote over Bruno San Martino. At round 22, Kevin Nash versus Samoa Joe. Tyler took the win again there with Samoa Joe for Pure Pro Wrestling. Then Josh decided to go for X-Pac. Tyler decided to go for Aja Kong, and that secured four in a row for Tyler, uh, and Pure Pro Wrestling uh, got the point there at round 23. At round 24, Josh nominated Rob Van Dam, Tyler nominated Marty, the Boogeyman Wright, and the panel decided to go with Rob Van Dam, and in the final spot, Josh picked his third female wrestler, Bailey, and uh, Tyler picked Chris Benoit. The panel decided to go with Bailey for Big Decision Wrestling. Those of you following along at home, Josh had a total of 13 favorites and Tyler had 12. So it was neck and neck all the way down to the end. And it was honestly one of the best drafts we have ever done. It was neck and neck and we're going to have to bring Tyler back at some point. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the last part of our episode. A nice, loose discussion on all things Duel of the Takes with a panel and a plethora of special guests. Thank you guys for understanding the technical difficulties, and we appreciate our fan base a lot. Welcome to the first ever Duel of the Takes after the show. Um, we are only doing this because of severe technical difficulties and Craig fucked us. Um, there will be a recap, all things. Uh, it actually just played, so me talking for five and a half minutes straight, recapping a uh, episode. Just, you just witnessed that. And now we are just having a casual uh, conversation with the amazing panel we put together for this episode that we got the first half of. And Alden and John. Oh, yeah, and Alden and John, friends of the show. Uh, well, Alden, the fucking co-host. Uh, and, and John Peralski, who pretty much is a co-host now. Hell yeah, I am. Our boy. Yeah, um... We can keep talking about what wrestling debuts. The conversation's been great. Um, as I was downloading the files, making sure everything was uh, was there, it wasn't. So uh, we're just going to hang. My favorite wrestling debut that I've ever seen was for Walter. 
because he was blocking the L and it just looked like water. <laughs> that was incredible for me. Also, Johnny Gargano's debut in NXT, which I know is like, oh, whatever. But there was so much potential there. I can't believe they never brought him up the main roster. Nate, he had a uh, faction in NXT called The Way. Did we know The Way? You got to Knuckles. Mikhail, I know I know a good topic here. Just uh, in general, what is the your favorite most random wrestling moment like for example when the zombie showed up in the first episode of ecw oh my god gary the milkman millman uh was on one of the first episodes does everybody remember this no milkman millman was just this dude who came out he like in like a, a shirt and tie and he said that he had a license to compete and then he like stripped down to his underwear and then kane just and beat him up and that was the entire segment he was never on tv ever again he never heard from this man ever again but he had like such a defined character that like you could tell like they at least told that guy to come up with something that they were going to use again, but they never did remember when uh chavo guerrero was a caddy driver his name was kerwin white and his slogan was white is right yeah and michael cole uses his entrance music now incredible hey adam hey. you usually have a good take when it comes to this what's your favorite random wrestling moment you know looking back on it now it's pretty terrible but i feel like in the moment nicholas at wrestlemania 34 was just hilarious also a great choice that was hilarious where was he on the draft pool they, th they had people thinking that was gonna be fucking batista i thought it was gonna be like elias there were rumors like hulk hogan batista ray mysterio fucking nicholas he walked past No Way Jose in the crowd. And <laughs> I know uh, one sour subject for wrestling, especially WWE, is like, oh, what guy are they going to like pull out of retirement or we haven't seen in a long time, like come back in a big way? Who is like someone that you think could still wrestle and should still wrestle? Uh, Mikhail's dad. Well, yeah, obviously. I think Trump's remaining career in the public eye should be in WWE. Uh, I gotta say, I'm trying to think of, like, people who I feel like their careers ended. Trying to, I'm trying to think who hasn't come back. It's like, well, that's what makes it difficult, because there's such, like, a roster of guys that came back that you're like, oh, that'll be cool, and then it was, like, horrible. Or they had, like, a run, and then they dipped, like, Kurt Angle, right? So it's like, they've done it. Kurt Angle would probably be mine. I don't want to see him wrestle again, though. I mean, I'd like him to, like, undo the, like, horrible way he left, but, like... I don't know. I just... I'm trying to think of somebody from the Ruthless Aggression era that just doesn't wrestle anymore. Yeah. Batista. Yeah. But he already came back. Um, Van Damme was a, like active wrestler not that long ago. Yeah, Van Damme. It is kind of crazy that Kozlov just isn't anywhere. Yeah, he, yeah, he's fucking humongous. He's in movies now, though, I think. He wrestled Shawn Michaels to for the streak. Not to interrupt, but... Uh... Should we talk about, you know, the ranking of the top eight that just happened? No, 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 no. We got this. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, what uh, what David Fincher character do you think would be a good pro wrestler? The Zodiac Killer. Andrew Garfield from Social Network. I think the Wrinklevoss twins uh, uh, played by Army Hammer as a tag team would be insane. Yo, you could have a you could have Rosamund Pike's character from Gone Girl just doing like spooky witchcraft shit. Yeah, David Fincher wrestling is going to be wild. That's fucking I'm copywriting that shit. Oh, wait, Tyler Durden. Oh, yeah, Tyler Durden's a pretty good pick. 
we're also fucking we're also like brain dead at this point that we didn't pick the fucking choice from Fight Club for a fighting like come on that'd be a cool like gimmick for a guy to like a wrestler to have dude imagine seth rollins with a tyler durden gimmick that'd be pretty sick that'd be fucking that actually might get me to like him like if he wore that jacket and like cut his hair frosted tips summer for seth rollins gave a soliloquy about napalm oh i've got a fun question unless you have something josh no go for it what's a character in a movie you think should have been replaced with a pro wrestler and it could be a pro wrestler that acts, or it could just be a pro wrestler. Me and John were talking about this earlier, but it is very strange that Bane hasn't been played by an actual pro wrestler yet. He has. And Batman and Robin. Like, one that, a relevant one. Sorry to the actor that played Bane and Batman and Robin. The final solution. His actual wrestling name. I just had a cool idea. Uh, Bane, Batista's Bane would probably be pretty fucking dope. That's the obvious choice, but I was thinking more like a... Well, The Rock is now Black Adam. Yeah. True. It's, it's, it, that's weird to me. Brock Lesnar as Eddie Brock. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Brock Lesnar? Yeah, Eddie... Well, no, but like, the Ultimate Comics, he looks like exactly fucking like him. Yeah, same haircut and everything. Oh, so you're telling me that Brock Lesnar is going to be Eddie Brock in the Multiverse of Madness? Sasha Banks as a Mandalorian. Oh, that's a good one, actually. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be here all week. Dude, I'd love for John Cena to be in more movies, honestly. Like, I really enjoy every movie that I've seen with him in, even if it's ironically. He should be Peacemaker. John Cena as Dr. Manhattan? Whoa, <laughs> that would be wild. That would be cursed as fuck. I, I feel like John Cena is very committed to everything that he does, even if it's bad. Uh, yeah. You could tell that he, like, made himself go crazy with, like, installing this, like, insane work ethic. There is a lost episode of Duel where we did the Josh Gad format, but it was John Cena. Damn. Wait, what'd John Cena do to deserve that? <laughs> Nothing. We just needed an episode. When did this happen? Uh, Alden and I did it live action, I believe. Yeah, it was in front of the outside fireplace that he has for some reason. <laughs> Wait, why didn't we release this? I don't know. Did the files get corrupted or something? I don't even remember. No, because we double checked everything. We had all the stuff. I'm pretty sure it got released. Wow. I, I'm mind blown right here. You guys ever see the wall with Aaron Taylor Johnson and John Cena? No, we talked about it in the episode, though. Really? Why am I having bad deja vu? Is this episode released and I've never heard it? We never released it. Like, it's probably still on Alden's computer or my computer. Tyler, I'm glad you're a bigger fan of Duel of the Takes than I am. <laughs> Overall, let me ask you guys a question. Those of you who have YouTube channels, do you feel like the amount of unreleased content you have outweighs the amount of actual content that you've released yes 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 no not necessarily because everything is very articulated for me i haven't released anything in eight years well john you just release that you just content dump which is very cool yeah exactly eight i've literally eight episodes on my podcast that are just pending to drop whenever it's relevant to do it because i've like kind of proto like like i did one where i talked about like the lighthouse and the witch because the northman is about to come out so i was like i'll just record that and do that you know those actor roundtable videos this feels like that but like about podcasters and youtubers right now yeah so should we release the original 
pilot of the scary box podcast that nate reads <laughs> maybe as like our five-year anniversary special or something <laughs> it's nate rereading the episode and i was being like all right your turn nick yeah i feel like with all the takes like we've had a few episodes like i guess this john cena one that i forgot the nicholas warman one that's lost to time like there's like probably five but the fact that we're we're approaching episode 100 at a scary rate is like it's kind of insane to me that we only have five episodes that didn't make it to release, you know, like that's wild. How long have you guys been doing it again? We started a week into the pandemic as like a YouTube thing kind of regularly. And then uh, it became an every week thing for podcast and video for over a year and a half. And then it was kind of just podcast only every week for the rest of last year. And then now it's every other week and it's video and podcast again. Do you like doing the YouTube stuff or do you like actually like having it as a podcast form more? Cause I normally listen to the podcast and then I'll actually watch the YouTube video later. think it depends. Like if it were live action, Every single week, I would love YouTube. Like, I don't I wouldn't even want to continue the podcast. Uh, at least like the podcast would just be the YouTube channel. But I, I do really love the amount of effort that has gone into us making video content to coincide with our podcast. But there's this really weird gap and pretty much watching something on YouTube now is almost long form content within itself. So like getting someone to commit to a 20 minute YouTube version of our podcast is still a big commitment. And not everyone's really into podcasts like I am. Like I probably listen to like two or three a day um, just as I'm doing other things. I have something playing in the background and that's not for everyone. So I do like catering to a specific audience that does want to hear our opinion but doesn't want to, you know, just have it on in the in the background or have to focus to an audio only format. So, yeah, that's how I felt, too. Um, I because we did an audio only podcast for a really long time on the M2J2 project. But then uh, after I moved in with my current roommates, like we kind of did, we do a live action podcast. It's called The Open Secret, who I, I, I haven't looked at the analytics on M2J2 for a while. So I don't know how they're doing, but I really enjoy making them. And it's just like difference between doing a video podcast and doing an audio only podcast is like night and day. They are like completely different vibes. It's just like it's, it's it feels more like I'm making like um like, like a talk show than than a podcast. What I really like about the uh, the roll credits podcast, Tyler, is like it genuinely just feels like like the last episode I listened to, the one you put out last Thursday was just you talking for an hour and 45 minutes straight reading like uh, viewer submitted questions and stuff like that. Like it feels like a one way conversation that's extremely genuine. It meanders a little bit. You go on tangents, kind of like what we're doing now. That is so like loose. I don't edit it. Yeah, I, I love that. But Duel of the Takes was never that because we'd always record for like two hours. And, you know, we have episodes that are two hours long, but those come from episodes that recorded that were three hours long. Uh, there's an every any given episode of Duel of the Takes, there's between a thousand and fourteen hundred cuts. You know, what's funny is like whenever I because whenever I like finished like high school and stuff, I was like, oh, I'll do the I'll like make YouTube content because like whatever. But I found like a lot of the stuff that I was doing that I was like doing for YouTube content and stuff like that. I was like I was talking and I'm like, I can't pay attention to what the fuck I'm saying because the edits are too flashy. Like I'll be watching like videos like every f like frame of painting or whatever, like back in the day. And I'm like, 
this is cool and they're saying like really important shit. I'm not catching any of it because I'm just watching their editing and I'm watching like the way that they made the YouTube video. And I think like it's so interesting because like now I'm like working on like this thing, like this other project where it's like I have like a little 20, 30 minute thing where I'm like I'm talking about like life aquatic and french dispatch and like wes anderson's use of like death in film and like mortality and like coming to terms with it and i'm like this might be better as a youtube video but then i tried it and i like started fucking around and editing a little bit and i was like this actually doesn't work at all because you're not even catching a single thing i'm saying you're just watching the movie my biggest issue with doing stuff like that like i would have hopped on the video essay bandwagon five years ago i've made a handful but not being able to use copyrighted material like even if you're giving a valid critique or appreciation to something youtube still is like oh fuck you like you can't use this and there's certain workarounds you can you know mask the image and you can uh you know reverse the clip or you can you know uh, mirror it or whatever but with like things like our commentary tracks like they're straight up not even viable to do because i'd spend 20 to 30 hours editing them and then another 10 to 15 trying to get it approved for upload it's it's not viable yeah it's interesting like looking at like the podcast that we do and like what actually like the the numbers are and it's like you would assume like an episode where like we're giving our top 10 of the year right is like really really high but it's like probably in the bottom three that we've done because people just tune out they're like oh i don't really give a fuck like what your number seven movie of 20 you know what i mean like i don't care i just care about like what number one is and like if you mention the green knight you know what i mean like they're they're not like interested in that and then there's like other things where it's like like i think i said earlier like the godzilla versus kong one i had nothing interesting to say about that movie and i didn't really give a shit about it we just kind of did that because it was like finding the feet of the podcast and it's something to talk about plus it, i was at the time i was watching every single hbo max movie that was dropping like originally yeah we we all were too yeah because i was like maybe i'll rank them at the end of the year and like we'll do some and i was like okay a lot of these are dog shit and i just don't want to talk about them like because the quality was so low like for every judas and the black messiah you'd get which is like fucking incredible but like you'd get you'd get like three like just dog shit like the little things or whatever you know and you're like godzilla versus kong and godzilla versus kong is like not a good movie but it's like there's or like mortal Kombat, right like these movies aren't good, but like there was some shit that they were releasing that was just like fucking unwatchable. Cry Macho was probably the worst movie that dropped. Yeah, Cry Macho was like, I wish that we did a top five like worst of the year whenever we did the pod because like I could go on and on about how fucking bad Cry Macho is and like how much of like a faux like fake filmmaker Clint Eastwood is. Jersey boys do be slapping. I don't think it's like his most offensive movie. I think it's just kind of middle of the ground. But like you watch Gran Torino and you're like, holy shit, this feels like an old man literally just screaming at clouds. But then you watch something like Unforgiven and you're like, there is like genuine like masterwork here. And there's like a craft here that's like pretty undeniable. The mule, he has two different threesomes. <laughs> the mule is based. You're trying to tell me he wrote that himself? That movie like will randomly just come on cable all the time. It's like the most perplexing film that like hasn't like it's so awkward because it's always the threesome scene. And I'm just like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like I put on Get Out and now it's this shit. Josh loves uh, Richard Jewell. Oh, so does Jordan from MTJ2. I haven't seen Richard Jewell. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan from M2J2 loves the trailer for Richard Jewell. <laughs> I love the trailer for Richard Jewell. <laughs> I like the trailer a lot too, but I don't think I'm going to watch the movie. There's a bomb in Centennial Park. That line? 
fucking kills me every time. It's not his most offensive movie. It's not good. It's like a two out of five, which is average for me. But like, it's not awful, awful. Alden is currently doing homework for an uh, upcoming episode. We're doing Wes Anderson rank. Oh, shit. Uh, in the past two days has watched, what, five movies? Did you watch another one this afternoon? I'm about to. Uh, you're up to Royal Tenenbaums is what you watched last night, right? Yeah, I because I watched the French Dispatch for pilot and then I started over. I watched the Bottle Rocket short. I watched Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, the Royal Tenenbaums and Ready or Not in between, which was a movie rules. I think Alden's I think Alden's film taste is like bizarrely similar to mine because he'll just mention random movies that I'm like, yeah, that shit slapped. All right. Give me a. Rating out of five for the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. I'll give like a quick like two sentence like synopsis too that completely breaks down my I, like idea of the movie too. SpongeBob SquarePants movie go four and a half out of five. Like genuinely one of the most entertaining animated movies that was made in that decade, um, but not peak of animation. And there's some elements in the pacing that I find a little. Eh, whenever you go back and actually watch it, watch it. I agree. Did you like Nightmare Alley? Alden's gonna cry. Which one? The remake? The Yeah, the remake. I think I gave it a three out of five, which is pretty high on my scale. So I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had some problems with it. I think what they're trying to achieve, they ultimately accomplish. I wish a lot more of the movie was like the last 10 minutes. I Yeah, I agree with that. I liked the first hour. Like I was hooked and then like it just meandered too much. I love the first hour. I went back and watched the original because they just uh, I, I think they just announced it was getting a Criterion remaster. It already has it. It got it last July because I thought about picking it up in the sale. And I w- watched it at work and it was it was awesome. Like it was a great watch. And I was like, you know, Guillermo del Toro, like he's a great director, but like he didn't add enough to this remake to make it this prestigious like give us academy awards type thing like honestly like i like bradley cooper in the movie a lot because i think he like played the vulnerability he like leaned into the vulnerability of that character more but like stylistically i was expecting way more that movie looked kind of generic nightmare alley is interesting because it's like it's clearly a filmmaker coming off of a best picture winner and they want to do a lot more than what like the studio allowed them to do. And the movie is positioned as like a big, like, you know, awards, like tentpole runner. I mean, it fucking got nominated for best picture. So like they didn't fail, you know what I mean? Like, and I think it was like number two or three on like HBO max and it went on Hulu on the same day. So like people saw the movie after it came out. I don't, I don't know like what perplexed him to make the movie. I feel like it, it, is a really bizarre idea to remake that movie. I feel like it, he's just a bizarre filmmaker to do it because Nightmare Alley has such a bizarre pace and like way that it kind of reveals its story over time. And Guillermo is like one of the best paced like filmmakers working. Like you watch Shape of Water and like I don't know what your guys' takes on that movie are, but like that movie moves. It has like a constant state of momentum. The thing with Guillermo is that like I don't ever I, I struggle with this because sometimes there's filmmakers where I'm like like for instance Clint Eastwood right. Cry Macho is a movie that I think is genuinely bad. I think it's like one of the worst movies of its year. But there's no part of that movie that I look at and I go, so Clint Eastwood, Warner Brothers probably didn't allow Clint Eastwood to do that. It's like, no, this is clearly someone's vision like to a fucking T. I think that's why people gravitate towards A24 movies so much because it's it's like an uncompromised vision. But I'm sorry to interrupt, but I need Nate's live reaction to this. Breaking news, there is a Crow reboot coming out starring... Bill Skarsgård, directed by Rupert Sanders. Hey, Alden, pull up Rupert Sanders' IMDb. (laughs) 
Bill Skarsgård's not the worst choice for the crow. Looking this up right now. What's the director's name? Uh, Rupert Sanders. I am not familiar. I feel like I've heard that name before, but I don't know on what project. For sure, I've seen uh, Snow White and the Huntsman 2012, Ghost in the Shell 2017. That's why. Bruh. Oh. <laughs> Those are the two big ones. Here's my live reaction. I'm going to love this movie, but it's going to be bad. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be Neymar and Kino. What else did he do? He did an iPhone ad. I love the original anime Ghost in the Shell movie and its sequel and the eventual uh, the eventual uh, continuation with the show. Like that that IP is actually one that I care about a lot. I think it has a lot of the same like themes of like Blade Runner, but in a unique perspective and with a lot more like fun elements to it. That movie was like so okay. Like it was like, oh, it has a lot of those same like stylistic things that I like. So taking that same thing into consideration where I loved the Crow movie as a kid and then I went back and read the graphic novel and the graphic novel is like kind of different and a lot more brooding and serious and like emo in its like core and then the movie embodies those elements and does something different and a lot more like acceptable and like action revenge movie type thing it's secret kino a movie is up there with like robocop for me but to like water that down and essentially what we what we're gonna get is we're gonna get like the robocop remake out of the crow with this reboot two interesting things about that reboot um because i'm reading through this guy's like wikipedia now this is an interesting I, I don't even know if you guys will remember this but like i covered this extensively because i was writing for a lot of different like freelance shit at the time in june 2018 sanders was announced to direct uh, scarlett johansson again in rub and tug a planned biopic about dante tex gill and his girlfriend cynthia bruno with uh johansson starring as gill however the film has been left in development hell after johansson stepped down from starring in the film where the transgender community criticized having a cisgender actress play a trans man also the rumors that Atticus Ross and uh, Trent Reznor are attached to the Crow soundtrack. Oh, that's a game changer. Um, sort of. Whoa. So if you can get them attached and you can get like a decent cinematographer, that's really all that matters because the Crow is not like, you know, it's kind of like Joker where it's like if, if you just have people in coordination working with it, like that can elevate it, then like the Crow's story is pretty straightforward. It's kind of hard to fuck it up. It is. It's just a basic revenge movie, but like what the 1994 movie does so well is like that fucking soundtrack is bar none top five sound. I don't know how they would recreate that element of it because we're not in a culture where this is the mainstream, but you can't release a movie like the Batman and not expect to see the Crow remake. Like this, I saw the writing on the wall here. Pull a pull a Matt Reeves and and do Fincher imitation and just copy like that. That's what it is. Like I, I mean, like that's the best. I mean, that's like the key for success. And like, especially if you're like going for like a nostalgic '90s aesthetic, because now a lot of films are like, oh, it's this thing from the 2000s and the '90s. Don't you remember it? Like Scream, No Way Home did this, et cetera, et cetera. I'm glad it's not Jason Momoa, by the way. Yeah, that's um, 
Oh no. If you ca- there's like other people you could pick. Like I, I think that there's like genuinely better picks. Like even if you went outside of like the typical race or whatever and you just like were like fuck it, Lakeith Stanfield or something. Like I don't know. Like th- but I would like to just see like a I would just like to see like a interesting take. Like cuz my thing with remakes is like why are you doing it? You know what I mean? Like there has to be like a reason to do it again. And I think the crow like because it was such like a a cultural thing where people were like Columbine and bl- you know what I mean? Like there's so many things around that time that that movie got like blamed on have you seen the movie heathers that, yeah i like heathers it's actually like probably one of the more interesting movies that when did that movie come out like 87 88 i think it was 89 but it might have been 88 the 80s is my least favorite decade for film probably ever barring like the 50s wow scorching hot take 90s movies speak to me more because they're more like aesthetically pleasing and then like uh Eight, like obviously 70s cinema is my favorite i think 2000 cinema has like some of my favorite movies and like 2010s obviously is like when i was in high school and growing up so like a lot of those like a24 movies fit in that spot kubis what's your favorite decade of film i would say honestly 2010s like a lot of movies i love are in the 2010s like i know that's a big zoomer take i i think the 2010s are gonna go down as a great decade for film the last great decade of film (laughs) i mean hopefully our generation starts making some fucking movies because i think gen z is just a cultural sponge i mean i think the reason why all these nostalgia properties are so valuable is because like i think people want to remember a time where things were good I don't know. It could just be like marketing at its finest. But like the fact that Ghostbusters movies are still being made, I think just goes to show how important the rise in intellectual property in the 80s like was. And we just need a new wave of like new intellectual property. Like, I don't know why it's so hard for a new original franchise to be made like that. That should write itself. I don't know. It's weird because you look at something like John Wick. That is a totally like original character but it's also off the starring power of keanu reeves so it's that's probably the future it's like it's also like aping john woo films from like the 80s and 90s you know it's not i mean but every film is but every property takes inspiration from something like star wars flash gordon whatever uncut gems is killing of a chinese bookie with basketball (laughs) i mean I really appreciate when someone just takes an IP and goes wild with it, like Looney Tunes back in action. True. Or the Scooby-Doo movie from like 2002. Uh, Yeah. Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed is one of my favorite movies. Cat in the Hat is Kino. Have we talked about Power of the Dog, Nate? No, we have not. Is Don't Look Up still your favorite movie of the year, even though like people have dunked on it on the pod? Um, Like, I don't love that movie, but like, I definitely see like why you dig it. I I think and Josh can attest to this. So we used to have a show that was kind of similar in format to roll credits called Missing Link. And you can still find it on the Star Wars wrestling youtube channel i think oh there's another deep dive of content for me thank you yeah it's i don't know how well it's aged i haven't gone back to listen to most of it yeah i haven't listened to any of them there was i think two episodes we did where it was like our favorite movies of the year and i picked it comes at night I, i think like that movie captured the anxiety of what that year was for a lot of people perfectly in a unique little drama thriller for me don't look up kind of does that but with the uh, glaze of culture and virtue signaling and a lot of it isn't even by like design like it's just a byproduct of the type of movie that it is an adam mckay directed netflix original with like a gigantic cast with all these people that 
pretend to care about climate change and our, the whole movie is an extended metaphor for that. That reads like a like the, the log line for this movie is essentially an edgy tweet. And like this is the movie that we got from it. Don't look up is so weird to me because it's a movie that I think is simultaneously overrated and underrated at the same time. Like, I think the people that hate it are like kind of wrong and then i think like the people who love it are just like but like he's like adam mckay's made better stuff like i i like i think vice is way more scathing i know um sakula doesn't like vice yeah apparently okay yeah i i think too like it, it just comes down to like the fact that that movie was discussed like it was polarizing i think polarizing movies are typically some of the best like malignant was one of the biggest cultural uh touch points for me last year because i had friends that were like this was dog shit and it wasn't scary and i'm like you missed the point like you can't tell me sincerely that this is a horror movie when the third act is this giant it's the best matrix scene we've had in any movie since the matrix the first one like way over the top action schlock and it's it's a it's a B movie akin to something like uh, Basket Case on a major Hollywood level. It's like De Palma's sisters on crack. Like it's like it's like you look at like the Arrow video catalog and you're like Malignant would fit in here perfectly. Like there's no way that movie isn't a cult classic in like 55, you know, or like in five years where people are just like, look at this fucking crazy bullshit. Like, you know, and that that's why, like, whenever we reviewed it, I was like, this is going to probably go down as like James Wan's masterpiece if he doesn't do something else. It's like this and Saw, this movie fucking rips and he hasn't done anything this, you know, there's there's other movies too you can argue conjuring and stuff like that i think those movies are good but i i just look at it and i'm like malignant is like has such a bizarre identity of its own that's like for better and for worse you know i think like you could genuinely make an argument that movie's like not good i'm not one of those people hey alden mm-hmm. g- give your take on why sorry to bother you is the best movie of the last 20 years or whenever shrek 2 came out since shrek 2 <laughs> i'm not fully coherent right now but i'll try yeah so a lot of movies kind of fall flat when they try and and push the same message or whatever that sorry to bother you is trying to say correct and it's it's every single part of it is is just proper satire there is not a bit of it that feels either real or fake it's this in between the entire time and it it's i love the characters the cast is incredible it's one of my favorite actors starring in it for for someone to just walk out and drop a movie as like this boots riley or whatever his name is he was like yeah i'm making this movie and it's incredible it's his first movie that he directed like it's the only one he's made since he hasn't made anything since you'd assume like amazon or like apple tv or like netflix would just be like fucking infinite budget here you go because like sorry to bother you was like a movie that came out and had like a really small budget and was like actually very commercially viable uh, some would disagree yeah what's your take mikhail well i don't have a take i know somebody who does though uh, a rather infamous fellow uh, friend of mine by the name of mr jovan barnes from the m2j2 project jovan barnes said free guy was better than the suicide squad doesn't he owe Josh a PlayStation 5? He does owe Josh a PlayStation 5. Just want to point that out on the record. The Project merch store just got restocked. There's a bunch of new designs. My designer's here with me right now. Say what's up, Kid Bear. Hello, hello. This is Kid Bear. We're live. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, it was actually somebody there. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like waiting for the silence to like end because I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I thought it was going to be Mikhail in a different voice. Hello. Yeah, I think it's interesting how many like groundbreaking directorial debuts there have been in the past 
years. Like, I mean, Sorry to Bother You definitely stands out, but uh, Judas and the Black Messiah was a directorial debut. I, I literally, whatever Shaka Kang makes next is like one of my most. He did a film called um, What the Fuck is the movie called? It's like some weed shit premiered and I watched it when it came out. Like just recently? No, no, no. Before before um, Judas. Was it a feature length? Judas isn't. Yeah, Judas is not his first film. Misinformation. Thank you. I know this. I know this because I've written about this guy's like shit like four times. The movie's called Newly Weeds, and then there's another movie they did it called um, Molignans, but I haven't seen that. I, that looks like a short film. Newly Weeds is good. It's um, it's like a stoner love triangle, fucking weird. It's very experimental. It's not for everyone. I think it's like considerably worse than what he would go do but it's not bad i mean it's it's a it's a fine movie this is for the whole panel what is a movie that got a bunch of praise that you don't think is that good the joker 2019 based free guy do people praise free guy free guy's not that bad free guy sucks not like the adam project idiot the adam project is better than free guy i will stand by that what we sat there and watched both movies moron I didn't watch Free Guy. I will never watch it again. Free Guy is more offensive. Free Guy is more offensive, and that is why it is worse. One movie's just bad. Free Guy flat out insults me. Free Guy feels like an assault on like film at large and like creativity, whereas like the Adam Project feels like it's riffing on '80s like Goonies style ET type films, like these kind of adventure movies. It's just not doing it well. Like, I think both are, like, below a one out of five. Like, I think both are dog shit. It's overdone. Yes, it's overdone, but it it fits perfectly into a Netflix original lineup. Like, you don't expect much from them. You just expect an action movie, and that's what you get. Free Guy needs to be an individual IP, and it's just, like, ripping off everyone else. It flat out sucks. I want to go back to something that Nate said earlier, because he was talking about, like, I think Josh, too, you guys were like, why don't people give, like filmmakers like original projects and like why aren't they able to i feel like we're on the cusp of that i feel like we're in a very like 60s era cinema scene where it's like in the 60s they're trying to like make all these films that are like based on books and shit and it's like failing and then like in the 70s obviously you get like scorsese de palma spielberg who do you think is like next up like who do you think is going to be like the next filmmaker nicholas alexander like the the next like filmmaker where you're like whatever they release next is going to be like a 10 out of 10 genuine banger and is going to kind of like how Jordan Peele with Get Out right where it's like this box office master depending on how you like that movie or not but like it gets way more awards praise than you would think it would it's like super nominated out the ass people basically respect this guy they'll go see anything he fucking does at this point because of how big of a movie and cultural phenomenon that was or like parasite you know like that blew bong Junho up like what's the who's the next guy up like who's like who's got next basically i think it's the safty brothers but i'm curious like what you guys would think i do agree with you but i'm going to probably pick a little bit of a normie choice and say denis will probably like after dune i think like i think denise already like solidified like i think he's already in that club because like i guess that's true because you look at like sicario blade runner prisoners to an extent i like that movie a lot so i know some people don't i think he's already i think he's there i'm saying like someone who like they maybe have like one movie that got like a little bit of murmur ari aster is a great example of this right like he's not quite in the club but he has like bangers you know what i mean 
he's a guy that we talk about and we get like excited about because we're like, oh, fuck, those movies rule. I think when you're in the context of this question and how it's been phrased, like the who's next type thing, I, I look at people that like the byproduct of the 60s uh, was like, I guess, like the best example I can think of. And it was a little earlier, but like uh, Kubrick really came out of doing these like bigger studio movies and he had like a like really low budget stuff before that and like had Spartacus the studio like the studio he did exactly what they wanted him to do and then he makes 2001 and he has full creative reign from there on he gets a, he gets like a blank check from that point on but if you look at like his previous stuff it's like the killing which is like way smaller scale than paths of glory which is way smaller scale than the shining you know what i mean so and i think josh might agree with me here that a ghost story is one of the most emotionally moving and wonderful movies of the last 10 years if not so far this millennium i i don't think green knight hits those same strides but that was the follow like the direct follow-up and when you're looking at like directors like your Jordan Peele's or your David Lowry's, for example. I, I mean, I don't I think Us was a good movie. I, I think it might structurally be a better movie than Get Out, but it it has that sophomore slump kind of trope associated with it as well. What I find interesting about David Lowry, though, is the man's a machine. He's putting out all these crappy Disney remakes. He's got uh, that Peach Dragon one, which I actually didn't hate. It's probably one of the better Disney remakes. But then he's doing like Peter Pan and Wendy's going to be his next movie. But the whole one for them, one for you type thing, like whatever he makes as a follow up to The Green Knight, I, I think is probably going to be one of the best movies of this decade. Well, he's making Peter Pan and Wendy. But you mean like the original thing he does after that? Yeah, the, like the next project he makes that isn't a studio funded thing. I think Ghost Story is a masterpiece and will be studied uh, down the line. He might be the m most frustrating filmmaker working today for me. Who, David Lowry? Yeah. I could see it. All of his movies, like even A Ghost Story, which like all like if someone was like, that's my favorite movie ever, I wouldn't even like bat an eye. I'd be like, yeah, OK, cool. Because there's like certain films that just hit different for you, you know. But he's a guy that is constantly like three out of five, three and a half out of five. Like just kind of there's always like two massive problems I have with his films where I'm like, I can't get into this fully. And it's like something and I'm just waiting for him to drop like the one that like i really click with uh my favorite movie of him is ain't them body saints that's my favorite movie he's made that's a good one it's a really really good one which like no one's seen but i think it's great <laughs> yeah like i'm trying to even think of any other ones i feel like safety brothers is an interesting one to loop back to i think the safties already have two classics but i'm just waiting for them to drop like a i i'm afraid that as much as i love good time i'm afraid that that's going to be like their definitive masterpiece because every time i jump into that movie i think there's like so much to get into um and I'm I'm hoping that they have something that's lingering because they had talked about how like Uncut Gems was like this masterwork piece of art that they wanted to make forever. And I'm I'm afraid that they might slump a little bit because they feel like they've achieved and kind of arrived. And I'm I'm hoping. But they've also said that they've had like literally even before whenever they were making Heaven Knows What, they were like, we have a shit ton of like movie stars that are like knocking at our door to make stuff. And we just don't we were just like not interested in that. So they have like a clear direction and they like clearly know what they want, but I hope that they don't get, 
they interest the shit out of me. Uh, Ari Aster's in a movie with Joaquin Phoenix interests the shit out of me. And then there's like people contemporary like Scorsese and Fincher that are still making stuff. And uh, thank God he brought Michael Fassbender back into the limelight. I appreciate that. Alden and I just watched After Yang recently. And I think Koganda could be one of those. Um, I thought his first feature, uh, Columbus, was was really good. I like that movie a lot. I, I thought it was very, very like slice of life, but genuine. And uh, the emotional beats that that story hits is really good. Uh, I think after Yang does a, a really cool thing with like it's uh, it's slow build and it's kind of like a mystery, but it's also very much like a domestic drama, too. It's very unique. And I like that the writing style there with this like soft sci fi glaze to like the near future. And I think like that's something that like really won over Spike Jones with with her. And I, I mean, I'm curious to whatever this guy makes next. Like, I think Koganda could be uh, one of those uh, voices of a generation, so to speak, filmmakers. I'm with you there. I, I also think it's really interesting that he comes from like making video essays, like started editing, like his curiosity in film started from appreciating other films because that's kind of the same thing that what we were talking about with like these film school brats out of the 60s into the 70s being the people who changed the film landscape forever with your with your uh ford coppola's and your scorsese's and your spielberg's and so on uh your george lucas's i think a lot of times the best movies are made by people that absolutely love movies i don't think the 70s is ever going to happen where they're like this is like a fucking just blank check go for it there's clearly a movement happening in hollywood i think it'll be much more like the 90s where you had like tarantino and sofia coppola where it's like this person's just doing cool shit and i just want to watch them do cool shit you know what i mean like i that's the vibe i get from like the safties or like even someone like a Benjamin Cleary who did Swan Song, which like if you guys haven't seen that movie, that movie's fucking incredible. Swan Song is great. Yeah, it's on my list. Swan Song's really, really good. It's like it's very ex machina esque, which is what I think kind of holds that film back. And it's it is a debut film, but for a debut film to get Mahershala Ali and Glenn Close and have the film be as kind of rapturous as it is, it's kind of like a bizarre spellbinding film i think it's the best thing amazon or uh, apple tv plus is curated um although every time i think about or revisit or see a clip on twitter of the tragedy macbeth i like that movie more and more the more and more i think about it i also think that apple tv is just doing really weird shit all right well this has been a really great crossover and i'm excited to uh stitch this together into something that's uh like listenable and entertaining and coherent <laughs> and coherent and recapping our wrestling draft thank you again everyone for being here i'm gonna re-plug the roll credits podcast uh you can follow much liked online on all social media platforms also mikhail from the m2j2 project m2j2 project baby stream slime light m2j2 we got a lot coming soon this has been duel of the takes uh forever